This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking, who attacked our country? You have declared a political jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motive. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam. And this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Set? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want you to give me power over Adam. And I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. People have, have so much to gain and have such a material motive for putting a position on me. We'll never And I want you to be able to give me the ability to whisper into the hearts of mankind. And uh, who was the grotto leader? I don't remember his name. You don't remember the name of a person who involved you in murder? Oh, something I just realized while we were on break is that the original Priory of Scion hoax, uh, it wasn't super clear in what I just read. Uh, maybe it came through, but something crazy that I totally didn't appreciate until like just now is that the original Priory of Scion hoax by that guy Pierre Plantard had mm-hmm. nothing to do with a Jesus bloodline and was just about, like, a secret society, like, organized around installing a Merovingian uh, ruler, mm-hmm. which he, Pierre Plantard, claimed that he was. And the whole Jesus bloodline thing didn't come into the picture until Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which... Yeah, is weird. Like, I mean, maybe because of the Da Vinci Code, like, I've always associated the two, uh, and I feel like they're very... See, I, I didn't yeah. really, because I, like, I never watched or read any of the Da Vinci Code movies because they looked lame. Yeah, they are lame. But, but maybe I, you know, maybe there were clues embedded in there, you know? Yeah, so did you think of the Priory of Scion as being... Well, I had come across it in some of the research but i forget exactly where and i think it was in reference to that book like holy blood holy grail yeah. i think i i saw that I, I read like the wikipedia and was like uh yeah it, it, it went back a certain ways but i guess most people have debunked um what was said in that book about it yeah. but I, I i had to check if it was somehow like related to like the protocols of the elders of zion and it doesn't seem to be at all it's just well, zion kind of doesn't even refer to zion at all like that is kind of what it sounds like so that maybe is why like it yeah. seems but it like just refers to mount zion or whatever i see where I, see. I guess this guy had yeah well anyways i mean we should tell we should get back to Otto ron and yeah. uh i think his uh his failed quest and like the end of his life because you know we've alluded to it but his fortunes took you know despite looking for the ultimate treasure you know uh being the center point of his life uh, his fortunes took a kind of dark turn in the late 30s and mm-hmm. this amazing career opportunity with heinrich himmler uh turned out to be a bit of a poison chalice you could say poison grail <laughs> a mm-hmm. bitter cup you know, yeah. that uh, he had to uh, sup from. Like we said, you know, he, he publishes the second book, which is a lot more gung-ho about uh, just the, 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 yeah, this kind of weird synthesis of, like, different legends and uh, believing that 
you know, this kind of like a sun god, Apollo slash Lucifer was yeah. like the true German god. And we needed to, you know, get rid of this, uh, all these, you know, Judeo-Christian psyops, you know, rails against the Jesuits, et cetera. But then, you know, he, he starts to, uh, first I think there's the issue with, uh, it's not clear exactly like who he pisses off, but, you know, he gets this reputation for being like not manly or something like that. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it was just like, cause he probably wasn't like, you know, he really loved poetry and stuff like that, you know? So he wasn't like the, a uh, yeah. soldier. The documentary type. makes it seem almost like he, he just didn't fit into the culture. Yeah. Of the so that was all manly military kind of shit right. like that. And he wasn't a very good sportsman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was he wasn't married. There was a woman who he kind of he was encouraged to like propose to who already yeah, had. Yeah, he tried like to court son. her, and he like told him we're like, yeah, we're gonna get married. But like, yeah, he thought basically like that he could easily woo her because she had a son. So he's like, oh, single mother, like easy pickings. But mm-hmm. she didn't want to go for it because first of all, she thought like if there was any ever any kind of custody battle because he was in the SS, like then. She, he would she would definitely lose um yeah, and also true. like he was poor and she was rich yeah um, exactly yeah, yeah that, that is a thing about auto ron is that like he didn't come from like a privileged background and was like really like a kind of like a penniless poet for most of his life like i think yeah and i think even when he was in the ss he didn't like have that much money <laughs> like he just was getting like whatever they could like you know would pay him which is better than nothing <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's a classic tale of like, kind of shit. like underpaid academic gets like offered a deal with like the devil to like, yeah. you know, for glory. And then uh, it ends up being a Faustian bargain. So he gets sent to two concentration camps, uh, like we said, to kind of undergo training, but also to like serve as a guard. And it's kind of unclear exactly what happens there. But people have hypothesized based on other accounts that we have of what went on there that he definitely, uh, and I think the SS almost, it was decided that, you know, he needed to be kind of shown death and like destruction yeah. up close and all this stuff. And also to, I feel like also like, yeah, like once you are part complicit. of that, it's more control over you, you know, like that's why the satanic cult like makes you eat a baby so exactly. that everybody is blackmail, sexual blackmail. Mm-hmm. Like you yeah. have to let Jeffrey Epstein film you, you yeah. know, et cetera. Yeah. A classic, like sicko uh like <laughs> yes. cult intelligence techniques there uh to like stain his soul with like the blood of the holocaust to uh yeah to make him uh more complicit and get him comfortable with like what was about to happen and i guess i mean it seems by all accounts that like whatever you know not to give him like too much credit but uh, at least uh, the experiences in the concentration camps kind of disturbed him and made yeah. him uh, depressed. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would disturb almost anybody uh, with any like sliver I, of conscience. Yeah. I, and I've read about that before, actually, that uh, it was kind of interesting how, you know, despite the murderous deeds of like the German army and like World War II, uh, I remember reading some kind of letter from some officer on like the, you know, who was serving on the Eastern Front when they were going through Ukraine. And he was complaining about the low morale of the Wehrmacht soldiers who were being tasked with like rounding up and murdering Jews. 
and mm-hmm. how because they had all been so hyped up and psyoped on this idea of like the glorious like noble Aryan warriors who were like conquering and liberating the world and blah 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 uh, the idea of it, it was so like dishonorable and sleazy to just like take people out in a forest and like shoot them you know yeah. without any kind of like battle or anything like that that they were all getting like despondent which is one of the reasons why then they kind of pivoted to empowering like the banderites you know right. and like the ukrainian ultranationalists because they had more like personal beefs and like scores to settle with the the jews and the poles and everybody else living in those areas so they they subcontracted out to the Einsatzgruppen, you know what basically you know the, these Wehrmacht who, who were perfectly willing to kill you know soviet soldiers in battle but even that you know and, and the concentration camp is, is that i would imagine magnified even greater you know you have these people you know captured yeah, in a camp sure. powerless and all kinds of shit so whatever he saw or was witness to there seemed to uh like fuck him up a little bit and yeah. then there were these allegations that came out about homosexuality it's kind of unclear whether or not yeah they asked him first caught. to verify like his aryan bloodline and that, that too. and like that. in the process of doing genealogical research to figure out like whether he was Ary- like you know his bloodline he was like, oh, uh, it turns out, like, literally my own mother is Jewish. Like, I'm halachically Jewish. And, yeah, so that became Not a good. problem. Yeah, and, it did, it did. Yeah. Not in the sense that, like, they didn't, like, immediately, like, drag him off to the concentration camp and stuff, but it clearly was, like... Yeah, it was oh, weird. It was like, kind of a career killer. In the documentary, they mentioned, like, that wouldn't have necessarily been like the end of the road for him which i mean i can imagine like you know whenever you're trying to have like a totally pure bloodline like it's pretty much impossible and you have to fudge it so uh maybe they like had accepted well, it's like that. all the nazis did was like fucking fudge it i mean all the yeah. way down to hitler right who had a possibly a jewish i've heard uh, that i never like actually checked well, to see if like, no no that we, we, like we got into it a little bit during the borman episode but i forget it was ambiguous and there might have been a kind of situation where like his grandmother was like the servant of like a local kind of wealthier, like bougie Jewish guy. And maybe they fought yeah, a child a together. Yeah, possibility like, that his grandfather was Jewish. Um, uh-huh, exactly. He was registered yeah. as an illegitimate child with no father. All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, but yeah, it's like all this stuff was like just instrumental, I think, for like just like the archaeology and the myths and everything else. Like it was a means to an end. So like if it was useful to keep Otto Ron around, but he actually was half Jewish, maybe he maybe that would limit his rise or something. But it wouldn't. They were willing to like fudge things all the time yeah. because they're right. just like sickos who have no real. But moral yeah, and I mean, I think homosexuality probably is also something that could be overlooked in the right circumstances. But in this case, it basically was letting you know, like you're fucking done for. <laughs> you know, like you either like are going to a concentration camp or you have to kill yourself. Pretty much, he was given like the choice. This uh, um, die a hero's death by suicide or go back to the camp. It, it's it, they didn't say specifically, but it was implied like this time as a prisoner, like not as yeah, a guard, right? Right. Yeah, it seemed to be the case. Because like, they implied that I mean, he if the knew choice the is treatment. like be a guard or be a or commit suicide, I don't know. Yeah, I would. 
I guess. Maybe, I don't think he was noble yeah. enough that he would have chosen suicide. Uh, they didn't like, quite specify it in The Secret Glory, but the, the one no. person they interviewed mentioned that while he was having been at the camps, he knew the horrible treatment that awaited homosexuals there, which right, was, yeah. like, if possible, even worse than everybody else. And so he dreaded, like, going back there, which makes, makes it sound like he would be sent back there with, yeah. like, a pink triangle on his arm. And, yeah. <laughs> Which is like wrong. bad, you know, and, and yeah. also if at that point might as well put a star of David on him, too, because he's half Jewish and that would be horrible. So instead, you know, I guess what he did is he went he went into the forest, I think, by where he grew up. Right. The region yeah. where he grew up, he kind of mm-hmm. went up into the mountains like wearing a black cloak and uh, sat up there and allegedly like took a bunch of sleeping pills and like passed out and then froze to death. Yes, he passed out and he, yeah, he died of like exposure. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, he said freezing to death. And they couldn't like find his footprints at first, but eventually they did, you know, they found his body. But there was some speculation that like, you know, perhaps like Martin Borman, he actually so, like, you know, that wasn't really him. And that he yes. got away somehow. There was some kind of wacky story where, like, a plane, like, you know, there, there was some kind oh, of yeah, like, meeting making at Montsegur, like and it made, like, like Celtic a, crosses in the air, and people speculated that maybe it was him somehow, or, like, he was connected to it. Like, a, a, it flew over, like, Montsegur while they were having this sort of meeting on the anniversary of, I guess, the sort of Esclarmonte stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not particularly like. Whereas with Borman, I'm very sold that they faked his death. Uh, I'm not because here's the thing: like he was on the outs with the SS, and even if you would have to come up with a reason why, because you know, I think they mention it in the documentary, but they don't really follow up on exploring it that much. But they're like, oh, you know, this wouldn't be the first time that the Nazis like would. Dre- In fact, all the intelligence services. The British were very adept at it of like dressing up. Yeah, like dressing up a fake body. Yeah, this is like essential. This is like intelligence activity 101. You know, like basically dressing up a fake body to make it seem like. But the thing is like, well, then the people who probably would. Well, okay, I guess there's two options. One would be that like he somehow defected to like the British and they staged his death or something. Okay. The other one would be that for some reason Heinrich Himmler decided to stage his death so like he could keep having him go on searches for the grail or something, but avoid the embarrassment because that was the real thing was that if Heinrich Himmler, if if it became known that Heinrich Himmler had hired a homosexual and like a half Jewish homosexual at that, you know, yeah. for his on an Arba, that because all at this point, if all Hitler of the Nazi out, heads, there would be trouble. Yeah. All the Nazi heads were like jealously competing with each other for like Hitler's right. favor at this point. So, you know, in keeping with that, yeah. Himmler would want to protect his reputation. But then, I don't know, like, once the war started, how much archaeological stuff were they really doing? And is there any evidence that Himmler would have wanted to do such a wacky feat to, like, keep Otto Ron around? I'm just not seeing uh, any maybe other... Maybe there was some kind of crazy, like, Agartha-related reason. I don't know. I mean, the fact that he, like, killed himself by sleeping pills, which, like, not every Nazi did, such as Hitler, um, in, like, that sort of, like, ambiguous manner, you know? Like, that's, like, sort of weird. But, I mean, I guess it's an easy way to kill yourself. Although, freezing to death isn't. 
Uh, so but the idea would be that he would be unconscious. Yeah, right. I get it. So that's like one point in his favor, but I don't know. Yeah, it would have to I be just some kind of wacky, I, like a Gartha related reason. Uh, what, what do you mean by Gartha related reason? You know, like there's some stuff that like we don't quite know, like that the official story like isn't the full one. That but like, like who, what's a Gartha? You know, they're like a hollow earth. Like there's some kind oh, of Oh, okay. Yeah. This is a hollow Oh, okay, okay. Oh, I see. Yeah. Like he he was taken to the hollow earth or something like that. Yeah, or like, something. Yeah. Gotcha. Like, oh, I didn't realize it was called the Gartha. Um, well, some people call it a Gartha. Yeah, okay, Shambhala yeah. and like all these Oh, Shambhala, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean um, but at the same I don't know. At the same time I mean it is interesting. Like it's also a little bit weird that like, I get it that, okay, he's half Jewish. Okay, he might be a little gay or something like that. But it also feels, like we said, like Himmler was willing to, like, fudge things if he, if there was a, a greater purpose, especially a weird occult purpose that he was chasing yeah. after. So it's like, what really was it that, like, torpedoed Otto Ron's reputation within the SS? And, like, maybe it was, I think there's... The vibe I get from a lot of the testimonies is that he, like the other SS people around him, particularly, you know, post like 1937, were kind of sussed out by him and didn't think he was like a real true believer or something like that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, despite I don't know. his book being pretty true believery. Yeah, it whole. seems Nazi tastic enough to me. Maybe they, they doubted his sincerity or something. I mean, it almost, again, it feels so parallel to the inquisitor, like the gaslighting, like inquisitor interrogation where yeah. it's like, well, like, are you really an SS man? It's like, yes, I swear I'm an SS man. Like, well, well why are you swearing? Blah, blah, blah. Like you're, <laughs> you know, it's like almost like they don't, they, they're doing everything to like, they've decided he's a heretic and yeah. they're, they're going to can him and there's nothing he can do to convince them otherwise. It's kind of odd, you know, I mean, yeah. they kept a lot of weirdos around, you know? Mm-hmm. Like sure. like a uh, what Vice Thor, you know, and and right. people like that. I just don't know. But maybe we should talk a little bit about uh, Richard Stanley, the creator of the Secret Glory documentary. Yeah, definitely. We I mean, we should. I think. I mean, if, yeah. if there's anybody that's a modern like carrying the torch, so to speak, of Ron in like doing weird sus. Uh, like mountaineering and archaeological investigations mm-hmm. to find mystical things. It might be Richard Stanley. Yeah. But, you know, as we found out, I mean, I watched the movie a few days ago, but then yeah. I think only looking it's, at later stuff, I realized like, oh, there are some, there are some sus alerts with this guy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how, like, I started to get down the rabbit hole of, like, him being sus. I think that it was from his abuse allegations maybe like the first thing that I yeah I think so I think this is what I was reading first where like I looked him up and like one of the first things that came up is that he got like me too'd people who listen to the podcast may actually know of him because he did the movie uh, color out of space recently like I think it might have been in 2020 or 2019 is Nicolas Cage movie Kind of like, you know, Nicolas Cage on the heels of Mandy, like sort of a weird esoteric, maybe sort of parapolitics adjacent yeah, Yeah. uh, type of film, you know, Richard Stanley made. And Richard Stanley also like is kind of a a cult film figure because he uh, made uh, he was going to make that Island of Dr. Moreau movie 
And there's a documentary yeah. about him called like uh, Lost Soul. Richard mm-hmm. Stanley's like attempt to make the Dr. Moreau film. It's all about that. And like, yeah, he got you know. fired and replaced by actually John Frankenheimer, the director of Manchurian Candidate. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah. apparently that's a whole like people like the documentary. It's like kind of famous well, or whatever. But, also, uh, weirdly, yeah. t- circling back to one of our earlier episodes, he actually, I, I forgot this, but he appeared in the Hodorowsky's Dune documentary oh, yeah, as sense. kind of like an authority. And I, I got because, real... Because, you know, he knows what it's like to have a movie that, like, isn't made. <sighs> yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I, I really, the more we started digging into this guy, I realized, like, oh, this guy's like a... Like, I'm, I wouldn't even put him on the same level, but, like, this guy is giving off, like, Kenneth Anger, like, cult filmmaker kind of vibes. Yeah, he's that, not... Like, I wouldn't put him on the same level as Kenneth Anger, like, artistically. He's more no, of, like... No. Yeah, he's, like... But also, in terms between, of... His, yeah. Like, like, this guy, like, circulates with, like, a lot of famous people and is yeah, kind of, he's like, like, weirdly that cult plugged guy, in. You know, it's like Dale Close, you know? Like, uh-huh. uh, we all know, like, how influential Dale is. Like, even if, you know, he's not, like, a famous actor or something. I don't know. Like, something like that. Yeah, not a household name, but like if yeah, you're in the those know, who you know, know, no, especially I think like in sort of like horror or like weird cinema, you know. Yes, and I think that like, this Colorado Space that he did was particularly well received, like with Lovecraft people. It is like I, you know, I saw it in theaters. I thought it was pretty good. Like it was one of the better love. It definitely is one of the better Lovecraft movies. I will give him that. But shortly after that, you know, he was kind of out of Hollywood for a while, kind of running around the French countryside, like trying to be Adirond. <laughs> <laughs> and then he like came yeah. back to Hollywood and made this movie and he's like, yeah, man, like here I am. I'm back or whatever. But, you know, he got basically his longtime partner and collaborator, Scarlett Amaris, wrote a blog post basically and also like filed a claim against him for abuse and wrote a blog post discussing it and like describes all sorts of like horrible things that he did to her, like drag her by her hair and the stairs, like just beat her horribly. Uh, I think in her own words, like beat the shit out of her. Yeah, um, just like like straight up violence. Um, yeah, just rape like was mentioned as well, but just yeah, real violent motherfucker. Yeah, revenge porn, emotional um, manipulation. You know, really, this is like a real a, a real hard me too case, like of somebody being like deeply yeah, like, like she woke up to him like standing over her, like demanding like to know where she moved his books, and he just like beat the shit out of her. And then, like, later she found, like, the books, like, in an unopened box. Yeah, and, and um, there were other, there were a couple women who... Yeah, there's more than one, I guess, who yeah, filed charges. Yeah, I think at least two. But anyway, I, uh, you know, this one thing stood out to me where she said this. She was saying that second winter in Montsegur was harsh. You know, that's where they were, because that's where he lives. It, he like, lives there now. Castle. Yeah. <laughs> we were not prepared to be living in that old house, which had an open fireplace for heating. It only had an open fireplace for heating, you know, not just like as a, a luxury, like that was their only way to heat. Uh, the days were long and dark and cold. Spring came and I found out that Richard had invited his ex-girlfriend to be his date to the premiere of the theater Bazaar, the movie we had both busted our asses over to get made. I was devastated, so I confronted him and he knocked me down, slammed my head to the tile floor over and over. I took off for L.A. for a while, but to my discredit and my shame, he talked me back again. They were promises of him getting help for his anger problems, that we would build this fabulous future and make amazing movies and books. I mean, the white lady had shown herself to us. We had a duty to her. Just him and I and the light against the world. It would be glorious. And sometimes, for tiny periods of time, it was that way. But it never lasted. You know, then there was a later part where that kind of, I was like, what? what is the white lady? Because at the time, I didn't really know. 
And later on, it was mentioned again. She says, to all those people in Ossetania who saw me black and blue and knew what he was doing to me and yet still continued and continued to champion him, refusing to take sides and burying your head in the sand, you are shit people. You can pretend to be totally spiritual, but you are a weak and shitty people. But hey, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and know that you knowingly enabled a serial abuser who has seriously damaged quite a few women at this point. Well done. I'm sure the white lady applauds you. So I'm like, who is this white lady who, mm -hmm. like, he invoked to, like, lure his uh, girlfriend back and who, like, I guess all of his film crew was, like, dedicated to, like, that they, like, thought that they were helping by, like, you know, uh, covering up for this guy or whatever. But so mm -hmm. I searched, like, Richard Stanley White Lady. And the person that came up is this interview that he did with, I guess, bodycountrising.blogspot.com, home to horror, cold, exploitation, sleazy, and cheesy films. It's a 2016 interview. This doesn't even get into, like, everything about him. This is just, like, strange. But anyway, so, you know, they're interviewing him. And the first thing that he asks is, like, your mother practiced witchcraft. It's like, okay, so you're a generational yep. Satanist. No, but anyway, yep. you know, that's not that's not the most, the weirdest thing. Oh, it gets thing, more but, intergenerational yeah. than that. I'll get to that in a minute. But yeah. Go on. Anyway, so he's talking a little bit later. And he's, you know, talking about all his films, like his movie Hardware or whatever. And eventually he talks about uh, the situation he says uh, i'd like to speak to you with your about your documentary the interviewer asked it is i'd like to speak to, with you about your documentary uh, l'etre monde or the other world which is another film that i guess he made about monsegur and specifically the woman in white that you saw as an apparition in the pyrenees of the caves by the chateau de monsegur you were passionately adamant about the fact that you loved her and you were willing to give your life for her but this was only the second time you saw her did you feel that way about her the first time you saw her so first, I'm like, what? So first, he says, I think the first time I saw the apparition by the castle, I was so confused that I was stunned by everything. I was struggling with the idea that I was crazy or was struggling with some sort of drug flashback. I was talking to their person there, Scarlet at the time, and verified that she's, we saw the same thing at the same place before I was influenced, that it wasn't just me or my brain chemistry. It took me a couple years of research to accept, but this was genuine supernatural phenomena. It's one of those things you're always looking for in life to find some sort of proof beyond what we can truly comprehend. I think by the second time around, I was receptive to the idea that she actually was real. The situation has only grown vastly since making the other world. And they ask, yeah, have you seen her again beyond those two times? And he says, we essentially have a siege going on in Montségur, you know, conjuring up this picture. Because I guess a mining company is coming in and trying to pillage this, you know, unspoiled wilderness, which, of course, you know, uh, he's like enough a, a is French horrible. like military industrial contractor is moving. Yeah, in. military industrial complex, which I guess uh -huh. it's a Maris basically that's doing it, which I guess is like a mining company, but they probably have like defense connections. They might as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Robert finances the mayor, I guess, of the area who like made a deal with them. But anyways, he says, you know, there have been a number of people wanting to come see the white lady of the castle. It's a rather odd story. The lady of the castle was a 17th century sorceress. So basically who she is is Esclamande. This is well, the... Well, 17th century sorceress. Yeah. Um, but or, that, that's, well, not guess, that's not Esclamande. Well, yeah. It, he says 17th century then, but later on, I mean, he did write also like a weird like kind of PowerPoint type essay that you can find online where he associates the two. But I guess maybe what he Maybe he was a descendant of Esclamande. Because there were multiple Esclamands. Maybe, yeah, maybe. That uh, had that name. That he were, did like, write uh, Esclarmand de Foix. He says in his. You oh, know, de Foix, okay. Yeah, he says uh, that she. According to the legend, the sacred treasure was guarded by the last high priests of the Cathars, the White Lady of Montsegur. 
So he does call her the White Lady, but maybe I assume that he was taking that it was an odd story that she was a seventh century sorceress. Maybe she doesn't mean that she is, or maybe like uh, the interviewer misremembered, or I don't know. But anyway, maybe there's another thing. But anyway, so she actually shows up in historic record. According to the rules of chivalry, the second time I saw her, I got down on one knee and swore my allegiance to her and that I would protect her. So again, I don't know why he would have to do that if she was from the 17th century. Because that was yeah, long he does after say the that. time of yeah. chivalry. If a 17th century sorceress can open a portal and step through time, you know, it raises questions and forces me to go back and analyze the subject. Yeah, um, I guess he did say she was 17th century there, but then why was he, like, kneeling in, like, chivalric custom as if she was... Well, he also says, in my own experience, I saw the lady on the mountain, and I believe she is a manifestation of the warrior goddess related to Minerva or Artemis. I think she's reflected in the French Revolution and in the Statue of Liberty as a strong <laughs> woman who protects freedom and guards the country. If this is a regional deity, then how many others are there in the world? It would be insane hubris to think this is the only one on the planet. That opens the door to other ultra-dimensional deities that have an influence on all of us. It seems to me that there are indeed multiple forces at work. <laughs> your mother had similar beliefs. Did your mom get to go to the castle while she was alive? <laughs> I guess, yeah, he, yeah, I mean, his mother was a, a witch, apparently. And yeah. I just want to say real quickly, because it, it can't not be mentioned, that you can find through his Wikipedia that he is, I believe, a direct descendant of the famous journalist and explorer of Africa, Sir Henry Morton Stanley, who has a very long Wikipedia page, um, huh. who is a uh, of the most honorable order of Bath. I guess he a British knight or a Welsh, you know, British knight, basically, who spent some time in America, actually, like, documenting, like, the uh, post-Civil War, like, American West expansion. He was knighted in 1897. Also, this is this is probably the susest thing about him. He, for a while, worked as an agent of King Leopold II of the Belgians, which enabled the occupation Damn. of the Congo Basin region. So he basically, yeah. he practically was, like, the agent on the ground who claimed Congo, for Leopold II, which yeah, of course sparked yeah, genocidal, uh, yeah. like, <laughs> horrible, yeah, talk about, you know, going in there and, and slaughtering everybody. But of course, like, the Wikipedia article says, well, but Stanley, you know, left the country before Leopold started murdering everybody. And he opposed slavery. So, cool guy. And then, you know, I think Richard Stanley grew up in South Africa, right? Yes. That's the other thing about him. Is you know he he grew up in uh, Fishhook um, or something, which I guess is a coastal city. In 1966, his mother Penny Miller, I guess, was the witch. She was an artist and anthropologist, best known for her work, Myths and Legends of Southern Africa. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, so he's actually descended from this long line. I mean, his ancestor like wasn't a, a wealthy lord going back generations, but like he elevated himself to that in like the late 19th century. So. You know, it comes from a pretty rarefied background, British imperial background, I would say. So he, I guess, he starts making film. His first film was called, that was shot on Super 8, was called Rites of Passage. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, uh, he won a yeah. little award, I think, in high school. And then his debut was Hardware, which was like a cyberpunk movie that featured like Iggy Pop. Dylan McDermott and Carl McCoy, who is the frontman for the gothic rock band Fields of the Nephilim, and uh, Lemmy from Motorhead, who I believe was a uh, even his Wikipedia picture has him wearing like an iron cross, like a German iron cross. 
like necklace. So he was a huge collector of SS uh, paraphernalia <laughs> and stuff. So uh, I guess hardware is about a self-repairing robot that goes on a rampage in a post-apocalyptic slum. And I guess that was kind of a splash. That actually got picked up by Harvey Weinstein and Miramax. I think, uh, in 1990. Yeah. Makes sense. He talks about, well, first of all, I'm just, like, still in awe of, like, this thing where he's, like, saying, like, I fell in love with this ghost that I saw. He's sure. Like, like, do you still love her? And he's like, yeah. You know, I saw this ghost. Like, sounds sus. Sounds like uh, it is sus. <laughs> uh, stop being polytheistic. Well, well uh, once again, we have, like, somebody who's, like, all about just, like, ghouly, goblin-y, like, <laughs> darkness, yes, like, worshipping rituals, like, Nazis, like, etc. And then, like, oh, shocker, like, he beats women. <laughs> like, you know. Yes. Uh, and he, like, worships a ghost, like a, a sorceress, like a, a wealthy sorceress woman from, like, the 17th century. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like, I mean, well, I guess or a divine archetype goddess. I mean, he definitely sees her as being equivalent to, like, this Cathar woman that, you know. Uh, yeah, the protector of the grail. Yeah, the grail protector. Yes, uh -huh. exactly. Um, Which would make him kind of the, you know, the heir of Otto Ron and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. The other really, really sus thing that he did, which you pointed out to me this morning, was yeah. in the late 1980s, what did he do? He traveled to Afghanistan to document the Soviet-Afghan war. Which is so bizarre. Yeah, this was really in weird. Little White Lies, which I guess is a magazine that I've never heard of before. Uh, but, I've heard of it, yeah. Know, this is an interview. Magazine. Yeah, he gave an interview to this magazine talking a lot about like film and the occult powers of film, kind of doing the press for Colorado Space, sort of. Yeah, you know, it talks about his journey back to mainstream filmmaking and everything and like they had to drive it to the Pyrenees to get him to come on and everything and then they ask like this is what like when I read this I was like what like uh, so they asked you made your 1999 documentary Voice of the Moon in Afghanistan during the Soviet Afghan war when you were just 22 so that was like in 1988 that he was filming it there's various stories about how you got into the country to shoot the film from joining up with a fundamentalist group to traveling in with heroin smugglers this is just like vice like crap and he's like, they're both true. The first time I went in with the United Nations with the UN food convoy delivering flour to Nangahar province. Then we got into trouble with the UN for deviating from the path because they were very strict about going in and dropping off the flour on the agreed route. Of course, the whole point of being in Af Afghanistan was there was about all this stuff that I was desperate to see. The UN got really pissed. They wouldn't let us do it again. Determined to get back in. We went with one of the guerrilla parties. The deal was fixed for us by a guy who was later implicated in heroin smuggling, which we didn't know about at the time. But then we joined the Hesby Islami under uh, Gulbuddin Hekmatyar, uh, who was this terrifying black turban guy who looked like the bad guy from the Golden Voyage of Sinbad. <laughs> I liked them because they thought uh, I thought they were against smoking, and if we were with them, we'd be forced to give up. I guess give up smoking. It didn't really yeah. work that way in the field. Turned out they were all hypocrites. The moment they were at a site of civilization, they were all smoking, wearing leather jackets, and trading Leonardo DiCaprio videos. Which, okay. as you pointed Wait. out, like yeah. it, that sounds like complete bullshit because Leonardo DiCaprio was like what in the Quick and the Dead or something like what like what was this would know? have been in like 1989, and I believe it. Like Leonardo DiCaprio was like a child star who had been yeah. on TV but wasn't even in movies yet. And why did they have videotapes? Unless like they were VHS doing Bafazi, I doubt that they were trading Leonardo DiCaprio videos. It sounds like just like the same it type. Was, I mean, they were part of like the the Dancing Boy tr International Trafficking Network or something. And yeah, like, you know, um, Leonardo, I, I don't even want to go down that road. But it is yeah. it's, it's like a weird. It sounds like a bullshit 
kind of it sounds like, like but at the same like, time, you know, it sounds like uh, Sex in the City too, where they all pull up their burkas and they're wearing like glam outfits underneath. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, for real. It sounds like your typical <laughs> like, like colonial fantasy. I mean, joining Hesby Islami uh, sounds yeah. like he's very much trying to like be like his ans- his ancestor traipsing around Africa. Uh, like, it's incredibly sh- sus, like that. Yeah, but like uh, of course his claim. This is like Idris Shah shit, where he's like trying to track down. This is very like Adoran trying to track down the roots of the true Aryan tradition of miss, you know, whatever. So uh, mm-hmm. they say, but it was an interest in lycanthropy rather than political journalism that first threw you there. He goes, partly, yeah. I was interested in shamanism and shape-shifting in general. There have been, I'm sorry, I'm just doing my generic, like, sort of film douchebag voice. <laughs> like, I should, you know, be doing, like, in a South African voice. Is he the African? No, yeah, there have been a shamanic pagan culture in the Hindu Kush until 1910, which is incredibly recent. As pretty much everywhere else in the world, the traditional pagan shamanic cultures were wiped out thousands of years ago. The fact that this had a fully functional pagan society and a static dance-based region, uh, sorry, re- religion, up mm-hmm. to, uh-huh, up till less than a hundred years before we arrive, maybe feel very optimistic that in a place where most people can't read or write and information travels very slowly, it was a good place to look for a truly primordial dark age experience. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, wow. yeah, go to hell. Like, yeah, just repugnant, repugnant. Anyway. Uh, uh, the next the next question's great. Uh, uh, following yes. on that. Uh-huh. Instead, you were hit by rockets and your producer was killed by the CIA. Yeah. Huh. He says, yeah, well, we didn't oh, wow. see that Friendly part fire, coming. I guess. Um, yeah, right? Yeah. I know, right? Um, yeah. We were young and naive. The point being that when we went in, everyone was on the same side. Yeah, the CIA, the heroin traffickers, <laughs> you know. Yeah. At that point, the people who were going to become the Taliban, ourselves, the CIA, England, America, everyone is united against the Russians. We didn't see 9-11 coming and never thought things would get as tricky as they did. <laughs> Okay. Uh, and yeah, and the next question just floored me, where he says, like, and yet, your first instinct when you thought you were about to get caught in the siege of Jalalabad was to swallow all the LSD you had with you. First of all, uh, why do you have LSD with you? Like, where did you get it? Like, you brought it with you to Afghanistan. Like, how? Yeah, you must like, have brought it with him. How did the UN, like, let you do th- Like, I guess maybe they don't, like, screen you. I guess it was, you know, that early. It's easy it to smuggle 9/11, LSD. So, yeah. Yeah, this I guess so. Just, it's so weird. He swallowed all the LSD. So he's, like, tripping on acid. This really is, During like, During the siege of Lullabad, which is, like, oh, what? Yeah, and he says, I credit that with me getting out of there. For some reason, I was the only one out of the bunch of us that wasn't killed or badly injured. I'm not particularly tough, so I credit the fact that I was tripping balls at the time for my ability to get through it. I was a lot more relaxed, didn't take things too seriously, and developed this stupid idea where I could telepathically tell where booby traps were. I hitched my German friend, who was injured in both legs, onto the back of a donkey and took off across the minefields without worrying about it too much. I think if I hadn't been tripping, I would have frozen and panicked. And then what? Just because so he's doubling down. This is like down, an object lesson know. in what's sus. Like I feel like if yeah. either of us had done anything like this, then our podcast should definitely be canceled. Like, and uh, <laughs> we have not. We have not like been no, tripping on LSD. Like being like, I can telepathically tell. Like I don't know how I survived. Never saw anything getting so tricky. I thought we were all on the same side. Uh, me and the CIA and the yeah, Taliban. The, yeah, like never packed like a few sheets of acid and joined a CIA proxy army. Uh, yeah. Or anything like that. This also reminds me a lot of William T. Volman, kind of interesting author, kind of a weirdo, you know, kind of a, a kind of brilliant, but kind of a weirdo, maybe a little bit sus. But he did this thing where he like graduated from Columbia and then just like 
went to Afghanistan, like, unaffiliated with anybody because he, like, wanted to help the Afghan people or something and <laughs> had, like, a very naive idea of being, like, a young American Honestly? going to, like, save the day. And everyone, he says, oh, everyone just ended up, like, nobody wanted to deal with me because they all thought I was a CIA agent. <laughs> it's like, well, dude, Yeah, like- reasonable. But honestly, even that is less sus than going, like, oh, I don't know, like, if it was during the Soviet-Afghan war, but that is, like even more sus. Uh, well, no, both of these guys went, war. both of these guys uh, went during the war. I think oh, okay. Volman went, Volman went earlier in like maybe 83 or 84. And then he wrote a book about it. Uh-huh. This guy went on the tail end, but then the fact that he claimed that he joined Hezbollah, which is like, I mean, he says it right there. It was like a CIA affiliated, like American and British backed group that basically was like yeah one of these like mujahideen kind of groups that ended up like beefing with the taliban but actually ended up like america ended up fighting them post 9-11 yeah and stuff yeah it's just like what so you just joined this for this armed force because like you thought it would be rad and like it just uh, they're also modeled after the muslim brotherhood i don't know if that has any relevance in contrast with the more tribe-oriented taliban yeah, I mean, but the Taliban it, are, I guess, you know, they're popular maybe, but like, or, but I mean, they're Taliban or not. Anyway, but whatever, like they're. Uh, yeah, you know, no, I know. I think they're a little more about movement. like, yeah. but it's, it's just very, very bizarre that he would just have this, like his first kind of project would be going to Afghanistan, making this documentary. And then he kind of gets like put on to like the Miramax Weinstein train and gets like Iggy Pup and like all these famous people to like be in his first movie, even though. God, how old was he when all of this is going on? Like 1920, something like that? Yeah, it's weird. He was like incredibly uh, I guess young. he was 22 when he was in Afghanistan, which is weird. So that would have been, okay, 1988. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so a um, year before they, they withdrew. And then so he was like 23, 24 when he made Hardware. Yeah. Yeah. And he was also on acid at Sundance when he premiered Hardware and Weinstein like walked up to him. Yes. That's the next question in this interview. Didn't LSD play a part in an early meeting with Weinstein? And, you know, he said like he basically said like, oh, normally like I probably had PTSD, but Hardware was what I had instead of PTSD. So he like swore off all drugs and alcohol during the production. But then at the movie night, he's like, I'm going to take acid. And he walked out totally tripping. And Harvey Weinstein just like you know, rolled up to him and he said he looked like a huge gray ogre. I remember seeing beads of sweat clinging to his flesh and I just panicked. I pushed past him and ran. So what the fuck? Yeah, he's just, and then, you know, this stuff comes out just in 2021 that he's like this violent kind of maniac, but, you know, it had almost been sort of on an upswing because of his association with Nick Cage and, you know, color out of space and everything. Right. Yeah. Like, and also, I mean, if you just look at him, he's one of these guys that has like a uniform. Uh, he wears like a hat, like a cowboy. He wears like a, like a kind of like kind a, of I don't know what it is. Pioneer. Um, yeah. Like a pioneer kind of hat that I don't know if it's like from the Himalayas or it's like not quite a cowboy hat. And he kind of wears this like medieval sort of black like you know like ren fair kind of shirt like i see this one picture of him on deadline he's wearing this big sus medallion with some kind of like deity's face on it but i can't tell who hmm. yeah. yeah so he's just he's like where's where's this goofy like adventurer like wannabe kind of alistair crowley wannabe auto ron kind of vibe though he did say i watched a q a with him in finland 
about Secret Glory. And he kind of emphasized, like, well, you know, I don't, I don't fully agree with Otto Braun in, like, his veneration <laughs> of Lucifer. Yeah, <laughs> okay, fair it's like, enough. okay, fair nice, enough. Thank yeah. you. Right on. Um, um, appreciate you it. know, he still feels like, you know, Otto Braun is just a very complex character. I mean, Otto Braun originally didn't agree with himself, so uh, I don't know. True. He so, kind of uh, did a complete 180. Who knows where the white, the white lady will lead you, uh, you know? <laughs> is that knows? Baphomet? Did he get visited by, is the white lady Baphomet know. in, like, the I 098? I like, sussed out any, like, siren spirit that where you're like, I love you. <laughs> like, I will do anything for you. Like, well, I think, I I think part of that it's is him wanting... A little bit wanting, like Amorous or whatever, you know? I, like, I think this guy sees himself as, like, a medieval troubadour in a kind of yeah, way where, like, exactly. he sings a song to his holy lady, like, yeah, and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That he's carrying on all these ancient traditions, but he's not willing to go all the way to be like, oh, I'm, like, an esoteric Nazi or something like that. Or he yeah. kind of keeps a little bit of a distance, but he is, I guess, a major, like, violent sus lord. I'm sure witches who are the descendants of, of British explorers of Africa, I'm sure some of them raise lovely, well-adjusted children. But, yes. you know. Uh, <laughs> although I think that <laughs> like, she was someone, actually, who was similar to Elon Musk's uh, grandfather in that she moved to South Africa and wasn't, like, born there. That's true. And even his father's side of the family is from Wales originally yeah. and lived in America Anyone for a while. Anyone who's like looking at like post-World War II South Africa and is like, I need to that's move there. It looks awesome. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, eh. That's true. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. That's I mean, he made, he made a movie Dust Devil, which is about like, it takes place in Namibia and it's actually about like a blood ritual murder and things like that so all oh, of his movies cool. kind of have yeah no he's like a horror type dude um, he's a horror type dude and not all people who make horror are sus but yeah apparently uh, he had a coven of witches living in his house in, in summer it's huh. like a subletting for him you know they leave the downstairs in a bit of a mess Okay. But yeah, I remember, I mean, he was originally going to do like a bunch more like Lovecraft movies before, you know, the company that he did Color Out of Space with, the production company, which I guess was Elijah Woods, you said, mm -hmm. Spectro Vision or whatever. They originally were like, do a whole trilogy for us, you know, do Dunwich Horror or whatever. But of course, you know, they canceled it. But it was interesting to me that like we recently were on the Recluse's podcast and we were kind of talking about some of this like Lovecraft themes and occultism and like... I feel like I'm usually sort of uh, dismissive, like, you know, or I don't like I, it's hard for me to take the Lovecraft stuff seriously because it's so goofy to me. But I feel like, you know, these people do like take it seriously or like kind of see yeah. it as like a valid mythology or, you know, a valid like channel for esoteric stuff. So there was something that I did notice in Adoran that jumped out at me, like in the context of that in Lucifer's court towards the end where he's kind of talking about, you know, as we were saying, like a Thulu or Thule. He's talking about this guy, Friar uh, de Cool, quoting him, I guess it says, It is fact that before the 8th century, Iceland was uninhabited. This speaks against those who seek Pythias. Tula and Iceland. How could the earlier population have died off? Given that the island was hermetically sealed from contact with the outside world, we must rule out epidemics. Mutual destruction through war can be ruled out as well because hostile natives did not exist. Even if we refuse to accept this reasoning and hold as possible that outside interference caused the extinction of the inhabitants of Thule during the age of Pythias, some archaeological remains of their settlements should have been located. So he's saying that there definitely were people there, and like Thor was there, and all these people were there, and like, you know, the idea that there weren't anyone on, there wasn't anybody on Iceland before the 8th century, 
that's wrong. So but what happened that like they were gone when people what people showed up from elsewhere? So he says, yet no trace can be found that would contradict the evidence that the handing down of the sagas began with the arrival of the first residents of Iceland in AD 795. In addition, the supposed inhabitants of the Thule, Thule Islands spoke more often of the volcanoes and hot springs than of a sea of ice in the far north. Couldn't fire and lava have depopulated Iceland without a trace? With more assurance, I read another book. According to Strabo, the celebrated Greek the- geographer of antiquity who lived in Rome at the beginning of the first century, Thule could be found six sailing days north from Britain. This can only mean Iceland. Where was Thule? I am shutting off the lights. The, my cabin is on the inside of the ship, so it is always dark. The ventilator blows rough and cold sea air into the room. The ship's sharp prow cuts into wave after wave, sure of its way, uh, despite the high seas. I can hear the noise of the water. I will pull away my writing paper books and now try to sleep. We have it easier than the Vikings. Once there was a king of Thule, who was faithful up to the time of his death. Where lies Thule, which has the sun to thank for its name? Was it in Iceland or in a Norwegian region called Thuluns? or Thulunes at uh, Hardangerford, uh, mm-hmm. where Laudmund and Bjolf brought their pillars to Iceland. Thulunes means island or peninsula. And then he goes with a U, Thulu ellipsis. And that's the end of the chapter. And I just <laughs> thought like... Cthulhu? Yeah, like this dude's like on a ship talking about like islands. I feel like there's like a connect. I don't know if like he, I mean, obviously Lovecraft wasn't inspired by him because it's much later, but maybe he is making a reference to Lovecraft. Uh, he might be making a reference because that is kind of, you know, like a uh, Riele or whatever, where Cthulhu comes up and everything. Yeah. I'm not too well versed on like the actual source of where Cthulhu comes from in Lovecraft. Except like call the- Cthulhu the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess yeah. that. But right. yeah, I don't know. That is weird. That is yeah, weird. it was strange. And the fact that like he's like, you know, it is kind of a a maritime story, Call of Cthulhu. So it almost oh, okay. like, you know, and kind of does this whole spooky thing where like the ship is dark and like all these really is, is kind of like evoking this weird Lovecraftian well, atmosphere. I, I don't know. I found that it's interesting. Inter- it's interesting. Yeah. yeah going back to because we did kind of talk about uh, the recluse. I think it was like Michael Bertio was like going up to this place, Devil's Lake in Wisconsin, and he kind of wanted to summon do rituals to summon catholic entities out of the yeah, lake yeah lovecraftian old, old ones yeah, or yeah lovecraftian old ones and i don't know just makes me think in general about this whole thing about sort of crafting these legends or rehabbing them or like reintroducing them into the world and kind of i don't know this weird desire to like make them real to like bring them into reality on a multitude of different levels, not just in like a spooky, they rise out of the lake kind of way, but make them symbols that are invested with like great power. Like I said about Heinrich Himmler, like finding the grail is less about finding this rock as it is to find the symbol that validates the worldview that you're trying to build and reinforce in people. And how I feel like people that are obsessed with like summoning Cthulhu and like the old ones, like it's maybe cool. they're, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's totally cool. Like, that's the thing. Like it's both evil and it's cringe as hell. Like honestly, <laughs> like summoning Satan is less cringe. They're both evil. Honestly, summoning Satan is probably more evil evil i would agree uh, maybe but maybe it's just the cringiness because like they're like the old ones as described by lovecraft are like evil beings or at least like i guess they're amoral because the lovecraft cosmology is like an amoral universe you can't really say there's good and evil like in the lovecraftian world but like insofar as like you know they would be beings in our world 
I would consider them to be evil. Yeah, you know, if they go around killing uh, they, everybody, that's yeah, pretty evil. Like you know, and why would anyone an want to bring that concept of good? You know, or. Uh, like, why would you want to venerate that that symbolic concept? Exactly. Like, why, like, why, not, why? Why do you no, want to do it so bad? There's not even an excuse, like, you know, uh, where it's like, Lucifer is really the light beer. It's like independence. Like, it's kind of like, what? Like, is it just like... like to lose, like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they don't even necessarily, like, have thoughts, <laughs> a lot of them. They're just, like, swirling chaos and death and evil. Neolarthotep is basically Satan anyway, like, you know, more or less satanic archetype. The other ones, like Azathoth, is just, like, an idiot, like, a cosmic idiot, like, swirling to the piping of, like, blasphemous flutes or whatever. Like, why, you know, it's stupid. Why would you want to do that? Yeah, like, and, you know, cool. like, you know, like, if you're serious about it, like, what, like, if you're well, just, we, like... We, that's we also at talked, least cringe. It's the most insane. Yeah. Like, yeah, we, yeah. We also talked about that, you know, Gary Gygax, the founder of D&D, like uh, kind of growing up in Lake Geneva, which it's like also where like the first Playboy Resort was and had all these kind of sus like vibes to it. You know, very bourgeois well, gilded age. Well, speaking of Devil's town, Lake, there's a there's a Devil's Lake in the Pyrenees, like around yes, this region, there is. right? Yeah, there is. Like, uh, uh, where the Cathar treasure was, like at one time, supposed to be thrown, right? Uh huh. Yeah, there yeah. was something about how yeah they had taken this treasure, but then like a great like sickness, I don't know, afflicted everybody, and somebody had a vision that you had to throw all the treasure to the bottom of this lake. Yeah. Where it still remains, but I guess if you go and get it, you'll die. Right. So yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of creepy lakes that are like nestled up in the Pyrenees, yeah, like very again, untouched. Like so you know. many devil's lakes in this world, yeah. But uh, yeah, exactly. But like you know, the the now, I mean, not to get in our satanic panic trip, but like the idea of uh, you know people playing D and D, like the panic around D and D of like they're practicing summoning demons, yeah, you know, and stuff during the '80s. But like I don't know, now D and D is like almost like a huge cultural thing even for adults like there's yeah. huge uh you know people that play games on youtube and stuff and well, i think that know, D originally i mean maybe it was for teens i don't think it was for like young kids but i mean i feel like when it first started out it was very much for adults because it was like kind of like a very technical type of thing but i mean i take your interesting. point you know yeah but i, I think just think that general, yeah i feel like, like the, the stranger metal, things conception of it about. is yeah, true dominant. yeah that would yeah the stranger things conception of it i mean i guess true. ouija like, boards too started out yeah. Ouija board started out for adults and then it became like a children's toy, like yeah. marketed towards kids later on. But it's mm -hmm. like, uh, that's irresponsible. But yeah, I don't know. Just something about like, I think there's a vibe in like maybe like the D&D &D culture of just like demonic, you know, princes of fire and like destruction are just like cool. And like everyone, all the heroes like are sorcerers and like everyone does magic. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's almost got like a Disney crossover kind of vibe of like. I mean, I mean it's, whatever. It's again, game, like I said, it's like lame as shit because it's hard to say, like, at least if you're summoning the devil. I mean, really, like, if you're trying to worship Cthulhu, I'm sorry. What you're basically doing is worshiping the devil. Like, I don't care. Again, this is the epistemological, ontological difference where, like, you might believe you're worshiping Cthulhu, but ontologically you're worshiping Satan. I'm sorry. You know, it's the ultimate false idol. It's literally like a fake evil alien or, like, uh, intraterrestrial or whatever the hell you want to call it made up by, like, a racist man who couldn't leave his house from the <laughs> 1920s. Yeah. You know, at least Satan is real. But anyway, like, I mean, I guess, Satan you know, it could be a conduit for something else. But 
I did yeah. want to say that, like, uh, in Richard Stanley's, like, little PowerPoint that he made about the great Esclarmonde of the Cathars, he uh, did kind of make this little weird illusion that I, I picked up on where uh, I felt like it was, like, a, a weird Lovecraft tip where he's kind of talking about her. He says, Inquisition documents allege that heretics fleeing the siege of Montsegur were granted sanctuary at her husband's castle for a while. Usan served as a crucial staging point post for the Citadel's defenders. Leaving her lifestyle and regal clothes behind, Esclarmon left for the trackless woodland of the Caspier Mountains, where she was reunited with her brother, Loop, who had run away from the monastery to become one of the leaders of the partisans. Clad in man's armor, she supported him in countless encounters, lit the night beacons that were the only means of communication between refugees, and helped men to push over the rocks that crushed the crusaders as they marched through the gorges below. Many a night dreamed of the ardent girl, and according to the poet Maurice Magre, again, like, you know, kind of burying the weed, calling him a poet, but anyway, she gave herself uh, to more than one of them, beside her horse and her sword in the shade of the Pyrenean pines. She was the tabernacle of the spirit, a living embodiment of youth and freedom. To the Crusaders, she was the Antichrist incarnate, the avatar or living tabernacle of the capital E, capital G, elder gods set in diametric opposition to the patriarchal hegemony of the, sorry, hegemony of the Holy Roman Church, or as Magra simply puts it, the saint of saints of an unknown religion. But anyway, I, I feel like the elder gods thing is a reference to Lovecraft. Like people yeah. don't really say elder gods about like other like polytheistic systems i feel like that's you know a term popularized by lovecraft he's kind of like linking yeah. like yeah she served because no, that's true entities just like me or like whatever though i did find like, it kind of a, like weird and ironic that uh, otto ron was like going on a rant about the ancestors but like yeah. talking about like nazi shit yeah <laughs> true um, oh, that hit weird. Um, also, one one other thing I just want to throw out there about Richard Stanley. It might be something to dig into one day because also in Recluse we talked about that guy Michael Bertiao and like some other people all had this interest in Haiti in the 1960s and learning the practices of Oh, Foden. did he have a Haiti connection? Oh, yeah. Guess he's what? A, he's a Hogan, right? Or, sorry, Wait, I, is I he? I hope I didn't say that right. Yeah, he's, he, like he's like an accredited uh, Hougan. I hope I'm saying that Oh, right I again. didn't know Hougan. that. No, what I was going to bring up is that it not just a year after he made The Secret Glory, he made a movie called The White Darkness, which is a documentary about voodoo in modern-day Haiti. And he mm. went down there, and I think it's it, it's available. Like you could rent it. I get that might be where he started to get accredited in you know the arts of voodoo and stuff. But I guess it's a very it's like a very sympathetic portrait of voodoo practices and rituals and stuff. I don't know. I'm reading the letterboxed reviews for it. Somebody said, "In the Western world, the past remains the past, but in our world, the past is present." I guess that might be a quote from a Haitian person. Richard Stanley's fascinating TV documentary about modern Haitian voodoo, which is depicted as being positively benign compared to the overbearing U.S. military presence and self-righteous Christian missionaries for whom meddling in other people's affairs is the order of the day. I hmm. mean, interesting. The, that may be true. <laughs> you know, no, I'm sure I, yeah, that, probably like, the is true. Like, especially the overbearing U.S. military presence. Oh, I yeah, think yeah. that a lot of like voodoo practices are syncretized for better or for worse, like with Christianity at this point so i don't know yeah, like again largely. like some of these like distinctions like whatever but yeah no. he describes himself on his own blog richard stanley hyphen blog.tumblr.com <laughs> richard stanley is an award-winning filmmaker author anthropologist initiated ungan and all-around <sighs> esoteric scholar he is currently okay. based in the cathar stronghold of montsegur in the mountainous <laughs> heartland of Occitania, where he is working on a biography of the castle's immortal chatelain esclarmont de foi the light of the world yeah. Wow. 
See, I yeah, I'm not sussed out by Haitians doing voodoo rituals. I'm sussed out by like white dudes like this guy, like going yeah, and getting accredited because I don't trust like what are you gonna go do with it? Like, and I don't afterwards. trust like who he was accredited by. Like, was it some like sus Martinist like bullshit? Like, you know? No, that's true. That's true. Actually, yeah. on the the topic of Martinists, which are yeah, I guess very active in Haiti, because I looked up. I looked up synarchy earlier, yeah. and I know I had heard that you know before that talked about. It turns out there's a whole section I think on the Wikipedia uh, for Lyndon LaRouche. <laughs> it mm-hmm. says Lyndon LaRouche, leader of the LaRouche movement, describes a wide ranging historical phenomenon starting with Alexandre Saint Yves d'Alvéda and the Martinist Order, followed by important individuals, organizations, movements, and regimes that are alleged to have been synarchist, including the government of Nazi Germany. He claims that during the Great Depression, an international coalition of financial institutions, raw materials cartels, and intelligence operatives installed fascist regimes throughout Europe and tried to do so in Mexico to maintain world order and prevent the repudiation of international debts. LaRouche identifies the former U.S. Vice President and former PNAC member Dick Cheney as a modern synarchist and claims that synarchists have a scheme for replacing regular military forces of nations by private armies in the footsteps of a privately financed international Waffen-SS-like scheme (laughs) a force deployed by leading financier institutions such as the multi-billions funding by the U.S. Treasury of Cheney's Halliburton gang. (laughs) Uh, Damn, okay. Okay. I mean, LaRouche, when he hits, he hits. Um, Um, Yes, I suppose so. So he ties Um, the Martinist order that these occultists were going and maybe interacting with in Haiti in the 60s back to Nazi Germany to the kind of the fascist well, there was international definitely, like martinist involvement with like these you know uh like the uh fraternité polaire and like all those groups like they're definitely more like deep martinist connections like you know, yeah i saw their name it. pop up a few times interesting their seal is like a star of david kind of yeah, surrounded also, by a hexagon much like the uh, i guess that is like supposed to be the stella polaris on the cover of the uh polare uh sorry polar bulletin uh, you know, they had a similar kind of six-pointed star. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it did, did kind of yeah, came out of Freemasonry. Yeah. Very sus. Uh, I don't know. I guess, you know, final thoughts about Otto Ron, about the Grawl. Should we care <laughs> about the fucking Grawl? Like, yeah, well, I mean, I feel like he is a sus lord who people need to, like, know more about Otto Ron. Like, I was surprised, actually, because I thought, like, searching him up that there would be, like, a million. I guess you found one, but I thought, like, there'd be like a zillion like history channel episodes about him. The thing you is know? you have to type in like Nazi search for the grail. And then yeah, there's like okay. 10 about auto that feature auto Ron because right, okay. you can't really avoid it. But yeah, it's a, a various kind of uh, one last thing I'll say is that a, a few of these authors, like in the introductions to auto Ron's books. And I think even, you know, Richard Stanley himself and a couple other people like all emphasized, which I thought was interesting is that, you know, actually, they all like to clarify, like, you know, Hitler, like, didn't really give a shit about all this, like, occult shit. Yeah. Like, for him, it's like if it was useful, fine. I think even Richard Stanley quoted, like, something Hitler had said to Himmler, which was like, like, you know, Himmler, why are you so obsessed with history? Germany doesn't have one. <laughs> you know, or something like that. Uh, like he was he, a meth head. Uh, yeah, he was a meth head. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A fun fact about Himmler uh, that we didn't mention was that according to that documentary, he believed himself to be the reincarnation of Heinrich I. The hammer of the Slavs. Great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cool. Henry the Fowler, I guess. Yes, yeah. Henry the Fowler. Duke of Saxony from 19, sorry, 912 
to 919. And, and they said that was one of the things that they faked was digging up the skeleton of Heinrich the first was like they just found a different skeleton and put it in there. And Himmler's like, ah, oh, we found him. He's exalted. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, and they just made it up. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Himmler. I mean, I mean, it's interesting. I, I almost feel resistant to that idea that Hitler had absolutely zero interest in the occult and it's all bendy, but like people, you know, there's been a lot of pushback against people saying that like, oh, the Thule Society heavily influenced Hitler, even though they literally did found the Nazi party that he later yeah. joined. A lot of people were like, erm, actually like Hitler didn't, you know, get any inspiration from any sus secret societies and it just, he was just like Trump. He just loved power or something, you know, something <laughs> more mundane than that. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessary. No, I don't think that's 100% true. I think he can go too far in that direction. I think probably not as much as like, you know, the SS. Himmler definitely was. Himmler like the whole was, SS was yeah. like, you know, ankle, not ankle deep, uh, like neck deep in the occult. But Hitler, you know, probably it was more casual like not as intense but I, d I wouldn't say that he had no interest at all i think that hitler was very interested in the larger project that you can see Adoran's work as being part of which is breaking germany away from christianity because christianity is too weak i think hitler had like an obvious interest in that in mein kampf and like all sorts of things like so that agenda definitely would be something that he had an interest in Again, this guy's a meth head and he, like, I mean, I don't want to exaggerate how much he was a meth head either, so I apologize for that. But, like, I'm just saying, like, you know, he was, in the same way that Ahuram was erratic, he was also erratic. He was all over the place. His, like, attitudes changed at different times. But he definitely frequently manifested, like, a desire for Germany to have, like, a new sort of spiritual grounding. And that he had, like, this, you know, grand utopian vision of things and, like, really... Like, you know, ha did, did have that kind of like romantic spirit, you know, or like uh, aspiration or vision to him. So I think that, mm -hmm. you know, to say that he was like totally real politique and he was just like Trump, like that's, you know, not true either. <laughs> or um, you know, just like Stalin, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm sure people could have fun with all of the Inquisition anecdotes in this book and be like, it was just like the great purges. But yeah, I, I mean, think it has a level also, of sick. Yeah, I will say, like, the Catholic Church is sus as hell, and, like, it, you know, a lot of, like, these persecutions, many of which, like, were visited upon the followers of the actual Sarat al-Mustakim, the, you know, <laughs> oh, actual yes. Tawhid, yeah, like, true. are absolutely appalling and disgusting, and... Well, the, the Pope actually said at one, I believe it was one of the Popes during all this, that said that the Cathars were even more dangerous than the Saracens. I mean, I can understand why they would say that because they were like, you know, at home and not abroad. I mean, similar to like, they honestly like anti-Semitism. There's like a great quote from, I think it was Peter the Venerable, a great like crusader champion who said something like, a Jew is not a Jew until he converts to Islam. <laughs> because <laughs> like they saw Jews as being like a fifth column for like the external Muslim enemy. I mean, it is sick though, how like those like tragic and like, you know, those horrendous acts by the Catholic Church were like instrumentalized and like turned around and somehow, like, blamed on Jews to, like, justify the Holocaust, like, in Adoran's writing. It's, you know, appalling. And I yeah. get why people are upset. I get how they're disgusted by Catholicism. And I understand why. But you don't need to embrace Lucifer or whatever. No. Uh, 
just I mean, Muslim. The, the, it's, I don't you know, know if, happy I don't know medium I'm... between well, being Christian sure. and being a complete gibbering Cthulhu cultist. I guess so. I feel like I in mean, the I guess it's not in between those things, really. It's like, you know, be past both on the spectrum of shirkiness. But, you know, yeah, if yeah. you want to reject Christianity, there's another option. I get why you hate Christianity, but, sure. you know, doesn't mean you have to be a devil worshiper. Well... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I ride with the the Cathars uh, in all their mystical doctrines, but no, I feel I. confident, even by Autoron's own telling, uh, just appear in the water. Um, no, I've but seen, no, but I think even by Autoron's own telling, they don't come off to me as like actually like worshippers of Lucifer or something no, like they that. Don't. That's true. Yeah, they seem almost like people like like many of the Gnostic sects, like trying to get back to the absolute like original essence of Jesus, kind of the yeah. you know. Uh, Otteron tried to retcon them, but as he told it originally, that yeah, exactly, they were just kind of Gnostic heterodox christians yes he tried to retcon them and and i do feel like you know at the point where you know the crusader armies were pounding at the castle gates that was kind of the army of lucifer whether the people realized it or not you know because they were serving like a pope who like loved to like burn his enemies alive like or skin them alive while he like (laughs) sings hymns at them (laughs) like yeah like like stabs them and leaves them on the side of the road for dead and like steals. he was not innocent Uh, no no pope innocent the third not not innocent. innocent what about that you know what about all these popes you know it's like how many years after Stalin died did Khrushchev go and cancel him? Like two, three years. Um, what about can we cancel a few popes now that it's been like nine hundred years for their crimes? Some of these, um, some of them are saints. I'm pretty sure some of these inquisitors are saints. So like, uh, uh, clean he, up your Pope, own house. Pope first. Innocent is actually depicted on a marble relief portrait in the U.S. House of Representatives. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, the third Pope Innocent the yes. third. Yes. What the fuck? Because of his influence on the development of American law. What? Yes. Like what, the death penalty? Like what, a cruel uh, and unusual punishment? I do punishment? not know. Like, I was just looking at his Wikipedia article, which also made me realize that he was the one who oversaw the Fourth Crusade, which ended in the sack of Constantinople, which is one of the most amazing like own goals in the history of the invidious crusaders and Nazarenes. Like they went to crusade against islam and they ended up literally sacking and pillaging constantinople without which probably you know the conquest of constantinople by the ottomans probably wouldn't have even been possible later so they just went and burned um, it. they did a pootler they said if we can't have it nobody has it and they burned it to the ground yes but even, and it, sounds it was like a you know a horrible sack too like it was the same way that they like you know they like raped people and pillaged and it was horrible um, uh, and yeah. yeah, and they were their fellow Christians, so there you go. But I guess they were, you know, Orthodox hey. or whatever. Byzantine. I mean, now we know where the origins of like the the motto of U.S. Special Forces, "Kill them all, like God sort them out," comes from. It comes from like the era of Pope Innocent III and massacring entire cities of people and being like, "Oh, should we spare the Catholics?" Like, and eh, now nah, God'll God'll figure it out. Like, kill everybody, burn them alive, smash the cross on the ground. Like, what the fuck? This reminds me of that movie, The Devils, which maybe we'll cover one day from the early 70s about yeah. a priest who gets like set up as a heretic, but it's all a psyop and like the evil church officials are like, actually the devils. And it's like, no, yeah, it's just like that. But yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like we're, n- we're no closer to finding the Grawl. No. Um, the and that's grawl, okay, I think. Yeah, I don't think we need to find the Grawl. We don't need to raise Tula. No, we don't need I to think raise even, I, I think even Campbell knows that. that yeah. We don't need to raise Tula. No, we do not. You know, we can all grow uh, 
unless you're Otto Ron and then you you went too far. You joined the SS. Yeah. And die. Um, probably. Yeah, I don't think we need to find the Graal. I think that we can just let that one go. Honestly, they there are probably like a million people who claim to have it, honestly. We didn't really look into like the Graal itself. We were more like focused on Otto Ron. Whereas like there's probably like a zillion relics people claim are the Graal. Uh, oh, yeah. if you actually well, there is the holy it, I would holy imagine. Grail. There's a yeah. million like true crosses, there's a million spears of destiny. Islamic relics are the same way. I'm just extrapolating really from like all the different swords of Ali, you know, Azulkfikar mm. that are out there. I get the appeal of a good relic, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know. But at the same time, when you start to use it to like retcon entire like pseudo historical narrative that justifies like slaughtering fifty million. Yeah, it makes people. it okay because somehow the Catholics are Jews and they oh, because they worship the evil Jehovah. They worship Jehovah, aka. But also Satan. like now Lucifer's good. Whatever. <laughs> like, Lucifer yeah, um, rising, et cetera, et cetera. I will follow yeah. him. Yeah, um, I'll follow him. Blah, 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 yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm puppet. evil. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll have to check if uh, Richard Stanley got any money from the Ford Foundation, but, you know. Uh, I'm worried that his fans are going to come after us like Hamilton Morris's fans did, but... No, I think we have the off. I think we have the Me Too shield to protect us. Well, um, I don't know. I don't know. That's over now. We're in the era of men too. Okay, so watch out. Uh, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Yeah, Johnny Depp, okay. who he's probably he, fucking like, friends with. Innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, exactly. He probably hangs out with Johnny Depp and Marilyn Manson and, like, and they do with them rituals, over being like, falsely accused. And they, they all pledge themselves to the white lady. People can, um, I saw people like at the time compared Richard Stanley's like, they like brought up Marilyn Manson too. And they're like, wow, like they're just canceling people without a trial. That's not what it's <laughs> about. It's like, um, again, another like blah, blah, blah. I'm evil. I love all horrible things. Like surprise. He's like a sicko who abuses yeah. women. But like, this is the Kenneth Anger like network of today. I feel like is like, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but maybe Nick Cage, you know, might be a little yeah, into that shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. and who knows, Leonardo DiCaprio, maybe he's friends with them because, like, why would you name drop him in such a fucking weird, oh, like, he's like he's a dancing boy of Lahore. Like, yeah, they all had videotapes of Leo. Yeah. Like, as a Nicolas Cage is a bit fuck? weird. I mean, I feel like... Uh, he's a Coppola, like let's not forget. True. Uh, yeah, Nicola Coppola, true. Yeah, I mean, he does, like, collect, like, dinosaur skeletons and things. Probably yeah, trying no, to, like, he's, uh, get that the attention of the I reptoids. Mean, Dude, National Treasure? Isn't oh, that just yeah, all damn, about like free Masonic yeah. fucking weird shit like He's that? It's like the, some it, weird yeah. films, honestly. I mean, I guess like the excuse I've always believed about him is that like he just does whatever, but there really is a pattern to the movies that he's in. I mean, he some are kind of weird, them. like Pig. A lot of them are like just like sort of like sus, occult, you know. I mean, Mandy films. is like MK, MK Search. Yeah, kind absolutely. Of, in a weird way. Yeah. You know? All right. Well, let's, All right. we won't slander <laughs> him until we actually know something. Uh, I guess it's True. too late, but we'll try to refrain. We'll, no backbiting. We'll hold it off um, for now. All right. But yeah, for now, we will leave it and the Grawl there in the foggy mists of the Pyrenees. So until next time, if you're listening, stay vigilant. Peace. If you close your eyes, you can't see the machine. Any good worker will know what I mean. Watching the cards while swiping the screen. Suited, sweated, soiled, trying to get clean.
Every 